Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Will. I'm Brian. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons, from badass bullywugs to bodacious broadswords. And today we're talking about the Basilisk. Hey, Brian. Hey, Will. How you doing today? I'm doing pretty fucking solid. <laughs> I'm so excited about our new end of the episode bit. Yeah, yeah I, catch I'm also episode, very much liking it as well. Uh, it's hype. But before we get to that, we have to do the episode. And today, yeah. uh, our subject is a legendary real-world mythological creature that dates back as far as at least ancient Rome, the mm-hmm. Basilisk. Nice. This reptilian monstrosity is infamous for one thing and one thing alone, its ability to turn victims to stone with its gaze. Mm. This remains true in the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Whether out in the mountain wilds or deep underground, the discovery of stone statues of terrified humanoids crafted in masterful detail is a sign to keep one's eyes closed and ears open because nearby a basilisk could be hunting. And surviving a fight with a basilisk requires either careful preparation or considerable good fortune. Neither good nor evil, the basilisk is essentially just a big animal with a cool magic power. It's also the perfect three challenge rating, which you know I love. Yeah, the the signature CR three on the dungeon cast, which like CR four also kind of fits in there sometimes. Oh, it's almost there, but yeah. it's not quite perfect. Yeah, because of Three's the uh, because of the differentiation of CR between monster and monsters. Yeah, um, but what about Harry Potter when it's a big snake and it has the it has the fang or whatever they used to kill Voldemort? I was about. Oh, to sorry, have... spoilers for Harry Potter. A fucking movie that's a bajillion years old. I um I was gonna ask you what your touchstone for the basilisk was. And it's that, it's but that. I know I that's knew, absolutely that. inherently wrong. That's um, what it sounds like. It it depends. It's actually more right than you think it would be. So, really, like because it's not like visually not the same. It's a not giant like, snake. Yeah, like I just saw a picture of it. It's not doesn't look like that at so all. So the D&D basilisk looks a lot different from every other kind of basilisk. Oh, so a regular real world times well, like a snake is more accurate. Let's get into it. I would like so to. So in real world mythologies, the basilisk is noted to be a legendary reptile, reputedly a king of serpents, mm. who can cause death with a single glance. 
The stories of the basilisk are far and many, and few seem to agree on anything. Some say the basilisk is called the king of serpents because it is reputed to have on its head a crown-shaped crest. Others say that it is the king of serpents because when it hisses, all serpents flee. Its physical description also varies widely, as well as its name. It has been depicted as a giant snake, a giant snake with wings, a small snake with wings, a half chicken, half dragon, a half snake, half chicken, and everything in between. Well, we're going way off the rails yeah. here. Okay. Many stories of the basilisk show that it is not completely distinguished from another legendary creature, the cockatrice. The cockatrice is a chicken dragon monster that will get its own episode one day. I've seen that. Okay, yeah. so, it, so it's it, all over the, the place. Most of the time, it's a snake, it sounds like, more it, likely. Reptilian, at least, yeah, in nature. Yeah, it, back in the ancient times, it was, it was more snake-like. But then it became more cockatrice-like. It, How? <laughs> Where did we get there? How did we get there? Over the course of many cultures and millennia. I, okay. It was a, game of, a, ga- a weird game of telephone, mythological telephone. It, yeah, that's what history is. But what if it was a bird? <laughs> okay. The in real life mythological basculus is said to be hatched by a cockerel from the egg of a serpent or toad, the reverse of the cockatrice, which was hatched from a cockerel's egg incubated by a serpent or toad. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> As the legends of the king serpent developed over the ages, more magical powers were attributed to it, including a venomous strike and the ability to breathe fire. Cool. Okay. According to the naturalist Historia of Pliny the Elder, a Roman naturalist philosopher and author, the basculus is from Cyrene, Libya, and is a small snake being not more than 12 fingers in length that is so venomous it leaves a wide trail of deadly venom in its wake and its gaze is likewise lethal. He goes on to detail that the basilisk's weakness is the odor of the weasel, which, according to Pliny, was thrown into the basilisk's hole, recognizable because some of the surrounding shrubs and grass had been scorched by its presence. So that's how they would get rid of their basilisk, they would throw a weasel in a hole. This is wild. Uh, and a lot of different things about this are wild. That yeah. Pliny the Elder came up on the podcast is yes. wild. Well, um, he's actually come up on the podcast four or five times before this. Has he? Yeah, you just didn't notice. Oh, wow. It's okay. Yeah, now I read the notes along with uh-huh. Will. So yes. yeah, Pliny the Elder being here is like wild to me uh-huh. um and probably if i went and listened back to those episodes it would be would mm-hmm. be wild yeah and it's a plenty of the elder story which is wild they're all fucking wild yes okay he just made a lot of stuff up a lot of the time fuck yeah that's what he did fake it till you make it fake dog. it till you make it he, he made definitely it. made it um <laughs> not not correctly but he did he did it is possible that the legend of the basilisk and its association with the weasel in europe was inspired by accounts of certain species of asiatic snakes such as the king cobra mm-hmm. and the natural predator the mongoose okay so much like some of the other creatures we've talked about um on this show um the basilisk was a cryptozoological creature that was not considered cryptozoological. Even though it was, and no one had ever actually seen one, it was considered to be a real thing that actually lived. It was in bestiaries like this natural, naturalis historia and stuff like that. Um, I can't remember the last creature. Oh, the rock. That was that was the other one that people thought was a real creature. Mm, it's uh, definitely there's not. a lot of these creatures that even though they're they're legendary and mythical and magical now, they were considered actual creatures that lived even though they didn't. Sure. Yeah. So back to D D. The basilisk is an enormous eight legged lizard like reptile with a wide gaping maw filled with sharp jagged teeth. They possess a row they possess a row of bony spines that line their back and have a curved horn atop their noses at times. So kind of like a rhino. Yeah, yeah like a rhino yeah. horn. Their bodies have a bulky iguana look to them. Basilisks come in a variety of colors from dark gray to dark orange. And although they also commonly have a dull brown body with a yellowish underbelly. Yeah, they look like a like a 
tree trunk on its side with legs and sure. spines. Yeah. Basil's eyes are, however, the most notable feature, glowing a pale green light. Um, Adult basilisks can grow to be about six feet long, not counting the tail, which can reach another five or seven feet and can typically weigh over 300 pounds. That's massive. For some reason, they're categorized as medium. I don't understand how or why. Yeah, we, we hotly debated it. We hotly bit. debated it before the beginning of the show. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Anyways, although it has eight legs due to its sluggish metabolism, the basilisk moves at an extremely slow speed. Still, basilisks are quite effective hunting creatures because they have no need to chase their prey. For meeting a basilisk, supernatural gaze could be enough to affect a rapid transformation, transforming a victim into porous stone. Basilisks with their strong jaws are capable of stone consumption, uh, saunter slowly up to their victim and begin to devour them. Oh, man. The stone then returns to organic form by some alchemical magic within the basilisk skullet. And so these creatures tend to spend most of their time merely lying in wait for prey, which includes small mammals, birds, reptiles, and similar creatures. When not hunting, basilisks are usually sleeping off their latest meal in their layers. I only like to eat rocks, but I also can only digest the flesh of the innocent. Yeah. So they get or to, they, the flesh of whatever. They have a whole rocks. system that does all of it for them. That's wild, man. Mm-hmm. Like, why not just digest rocks? Like, so, so what's the function of this? Is there a function of this? Can I cut... Can I cut the thing open? Okay, so I turn something into stone. Uh-huh. I eat it bite uh-huh. by bite. Uh-huh, it uh-huh. becomes pieces in my stomach and turns back into flesh. No, I theoretically yeah. in the gullet, which I think oh, is like, like in the this throat, section, but yeah. it goes into the gut as yeah, flesh. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. can I cut this thing's gut open and fish out the pieces of my friend and yes. bring them back to life? Maybe I'm not sure how that all works. Yeah, because then you've you've greater restorated in the gullet. <laughs> Well, you can't grade or restore it because it's not. Well, I mean, they turn it into flesh or whatever, right? It's like back to its normal. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, sure, sure. So I don't have to waste time grade or restorating it from stone. Yeah, I'm not sure how you would figure that out because, like, theoretically, like, Bob gets turned to stone. He eats Bob's arm, but then you get there, kill Basilisk, retrieve the arm, but Bob's still stone. So I guess you turn him into not stone, but then he's bleeding out of his stump. Not while he's stoned. So you no. got you got to greater restorator him and get a team on uh, uh, surgeons <laughs> on, get a hot knife or something. Yeah, there we go. Like, Fucking. but if you don't have all that hand, that arm's gonna die. Right. Exactly. And then Bob just has no arm. Because what are you going to do? Get the wizard to fucking like ray of frost your bag of holding to keep the fucking heart in there or whatever. <laughs> I like, mean, okay. you so could you maybe. You got to get it on ice. And then, uh, so, so here's the thing is mm-hmm. like, you really do need to put the iron on Bob when he wakes up. From the iron on Bob? Yeah, you get mean? a hot iron. and just, Oh, yeah. So you wake yeah. up from, you're like, wait, I thought we were fighting the basilisk. Ah! Oh, we were. And then, yeah. like, uh, like you look down and there's a, you're being carterized. Exactly. Okay. Let's take a short S- Sucks for Bob. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. 
and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms, to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hey everybody, be sure to check out Super, Super Quest, Quest Saga. Saga! A future fantasy 5th edition D&D actual play podcast homebrewed and dungeon mastered by yours truly, me... And set in space. And I play in it, along with your special guest Jake and friend of the show, Josh Freeland. You can find it on YouTube, iTunes, or anywhere else you can get your podcasts. Super Quest Saga! We've returned. Indeed we have. We're back again to talk about how you could be turned into stone, mm-hmm. eaten, and then fished out of <laughs> this fucking thing's stomach, maybe. Maybe. It's possible. <laughs> so precisely how the creature's gaze works is a mystery, but most scholars subscribe to the theory that the creature's eyes emit a radiation that is absorbed by the eyes of other creatures, or even itself. Um, the gaze reflected uh, back on itself. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pause. we got to start over. This looks like it got put out of order. Oh, okay. That didn't read correctly. We'll just keep going. Hold on. No, I think it's right. It's just the way you read it, I think, maybe. Most scholars subscribe to a theory that the creature's eyes... Oh, I see how it's supposed to be read. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It just... That comma and the the big gap. I I see how that happened, yeah. Let's, Let's start over. We've returned. Indeed we have. We're back to talk about how if you get turned to stone... And eaten, you could potentially be fished out of the opponent. Possibly. Possibly. Um, precisely how the creature's gaze works is a mystery, but most scholars subscribe to the theory that the creature's eyes emit a radiation okay, that is. Stop, stop. Did what? you do something to your microphone? I did not. I'm getting some spikes off I of you. I see that. Yeah. I mean, I clapped a couple times. Was I that think it? it's being hit. Can you can you make sure that the connection at the bottom oh, yeah. is, is there? The connection at the bottom yeah. is connected. Okay, cool. And then this, let's get. I wonder when I hit plenty it. Plenty of slack. Um, I mean, it was doing it earlier when you were making the adjustment at the beginning to talk mm-hmm. to the camera. When yeah, I heard it, but it's just it's that connection. So just try not to touch it. Okay. You're good now. All right, we'll do it one more time, and I'm not going to do that. I'm, that joke landed so much worse the second time. I'm not going to do it the third time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <clears throat> we've returned. We're yeah. back at it again. 
Fuck yeah. Let's get fucking vaporized by these basilisks and eaten. Well, you don't get vaporized. You get, uh, get stonerized. Get stoned. Stonerized. It's petrified. It's time to but... get stoned with the basilisk. <laughs> All right. Well, precisely how these creatures' gaze, gazes work uh, is a mystery. But most scholars subscribe to the theory that the creature's eyes emit a radiation that if absorbed by the eyes of other creatures or even itself, if its gaze is reflected back upon it. Vis-a-vis a mirror. Causes an inexplicable chemical reaction uh, in the bloodstream, altering living flesh to stone. Which, honestly, that's just me- that's meaningless. Can you? We do- don't know how it works, but maybe it's a series of events that works. If you make an illusion uh-huh. that is a mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I made the illusion of a mirror. Would it ha- cause a – would there be a reflection in it? Or would you have to manipulate the illusion to reflect whatever is looking at it? E- it would not time? be an actual reflection. Okay. It would be a false reflection, so it would not work. Okay. So the, the basically this eye beam would go through your illusion. Yes. And if you were looking at the thing, you would still turn to stone. Well, that's a good question because, like, you're not meaning the creature's eyes if there's something in between you that is obscuring your view, technically. Even if the thing isn't actually there, illusion. So if it is this whole radiation thing, uh, a theory that's that's true, then yes, it would still work. You would get petrified. Right. It would go through whatever yeah. object because the type of yeah, 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 you know, yeah, frequency or whatever. Okay, okay. Yeah. So if I, but you're saying that if I put up an illusion of a mirror mm-hmm. or anything, mm-hmm. that it would just hit the illusion and kind of dissipate there. Yeah. Like the magic. It's just magic. Because there's no actual thing for it to reflect off. You have to make eye contact or it's it doesn't count. Yes. That's what they say about lots of stuff. Clothing into what specifically? Clothing, items, and light carried or worn by victims are not affected despite tales to the contrary. So So you turn to stone, but your clothes don't. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense and also makes it very obvious when a statue isn't just a statue. Oh, yeah, you know totally. I mean? So if you're, um, well, this thing's going to eat the evidence that it turned <laughs> anybody into stone. So basically you would find like scraps of clothes or weapons on the ground. Or even like a stone finger that it dropped out of its mouth or like a head that it didn't decide to consume or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's that as well. Oh, man. Basilisks tend to rely on their gaze attack, biting only when opponents come within reach. Due to its slow metabolism, it does not expend energy unnecessarily, and intruders who flee a basilisk rather than fight can expect at best only a half-hearted pursuit. They okay. just don't got it in them. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting more and more hints that you're supposed to cut these things open to get, to get your boys out. <laughs> also, fortunately for those who encounter it, the basilisk is not particularly cunning either, and it will not likely not comprehend the properties of a mirror or other reflective device if such is maneuvered into position before it. Wow. It may readily petrify itself if such precautions are successfully applied. See, I was thinking, like, this thing might naturally be um, adverse to, like, Drinking with its eyes open in case it sees its own reflection in a lake. Or a I river. agree with what you're saying. Like, and there's also something there's something I'm going it. to say later that kind of and I feel like it contradicts what I just said. Yeah. Like this this thing's not going to just walk around. This thing doesn't live this long or as long as I'm assuming. So later, it lives. So later on in the notes, not not too far now, I'm going to talk about how basilisks naturally avert their eyes from other basilisks. Which, yeah. if it saw a reflection of itself and it doesn't recognize it as a reflection, it's going to recognize that that's another basilisk and it's going to avert its eyes. Yeah. So that kind of, it's contradicting. But welcome to what I do, which is parse through all the contradicting bullshit and try and put as little contradicting stuff in here as I can. I, I definitely think there's room in here to surprise it with a mirror. Like, it, okay, it might not know what a yes. mirror is. Do but you, to you phrase know that you it need that? in such a way where uh, it, it cannot comprehend the properties of a mirror. I mean, it could comprehend the properties of, of reflective water, I would imagine. 
Yeah, like if it had time to comprehend the properties of a mirror, yeah, that suddenly, it into, yeah, but that's not because it can't comprehend the. Like, it's because what a mirror it got is. turned to fucking stone when it yeah, looked at it. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Okay. Anyways. Yeah, I'm with you. So, like other reptilian creatures, basilisks are cold-blooded. They derive much of their energy from the heat of the sun and spend much time sunning themselves on rocks or heights together. I don't know why, but I'm I really have fallen in love with this creature. It's this big fat lazy lizard that just lives out in the woods. Yeah, it's leaving you on red. It's just it's, it's it it's not it's not going to your birthday party no. or even acknowledging it's your birthday. It's this big potato out here in the out here in the woods. This big uh cold cold-blooded potato. Yeah, there we go. They will also Kill often creep streets. up to campfires at night for the same reason because they feel the heat. Ooh. Which I also find adorable. But unlike <laughs> most reptiles, basilisks can tolerate a fairly wide range of temperature and can also store heat efficiently in their coiled digestive organs. Thus, they remain active on warm or mild nights, even in early spring or late autumn. Basilisks who live deep underground tend to inhabit areas with access to volcanic heat. And if these subterranean creatures are kept from this heat source for any longer than a day, they will grow sluggish and ultimately perish within another three days. Okay. So, yeah, that is one way you could deprive them of heat. All right. Um, I would imagine, I don't know, we haven't looked at the stat block, but that almost makes me think that cold damage would be double effective, but. Well, yeah. Like imagine if you hit like your average everyday lizard with like a bag of ice. Exactly. That probably it's not good for the lizard. <laughs> no, definitely probably not. Probably take some bludge damage first. Yeah, bludge and, and then cold damage cold. pretty soon after. <laughs> it's so horrifying. Put a bag of ice between your lizard and the sun and see what happens. Like their smaller kin among the lizard population, basilisks can regrow lost limbs and tails within one to four months, provided they have an above average supply of food during this time. See, this is cool that you can, like, bait them out of their natural habitat to follow heat and food. Yeah. And, like, let me just drop this basilisk off in your town where I, oh, where yeah, I cast create bonfire. Could. That's horrible. Yes, That's it is terrible. horrible. Basilisks are found in nearly every every climate and often in underground areas as well. They tend to lair in shallow burrows, caves, or other sheltered areas. The entrance to a basilisk lair is sometimes distinguished by lifelike stone statues or carvings, which are actually creatures that ran afoul of the creature's gaze. Travelers within a basilisk hunting territory sometimes find objects that look like pieces of remarkably lifelike stone carvings of wildlife with missing parts that appear to have been bitten off. Mm. Seasoned explorers regard such relics as warnings, knowing that the basilisk that created them is likely to be nearby. So spoilers for Name of the Wind. Okay. Starting now. Okay. These remind me of the dragons from Name of the Wind. Oh, the the Dracus? The Dracus. Yeah, but without the stone power. Without the stone power, but they're big, like, lazy, lazy, driven Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It it reminds me very much of that as well. Yeah, these are cool. And uh, let me me change what I said earlier about baiting them out to a town to baiting them out to a hobgoblin encampment where you can just let them cause some ruckus before you get in there. That's so much better. Yeah, it is (laughs) so much better, isn't it? Anyways, (laughs) uh, a basilisk born and raised in captivity can be domesticated and trained. Such a trained basilisk knows how to avoid meeting the eyes of those its master wishes to protect from its gaze, but it makes a daunting guardian beast. Mm -hmm. Because of this use, basilisk eggs are highly prized. Some alchemists are said to know how to process a basilisk gullet and the fluids contained within. Properly handled, the gullet produces an oil that will turn petrified creatures to flesh and life. Unfortunately for such a victim, any parts lost in stone form remain absent if the creature revives. Revivification using the oil is impossible if a vital part of the petrified creature, such as its head, is detached. That's wild. Mm -hmm. This is a wild concept. So, yeah, you can can domesticate them, essentially. you super can. Sick. Basilisks instinctively avoid looking directly at other basilisks, and they never deliberately use their stoning gaze on one another. 
They can recognize fellow basilisks by smell, and although their sense of smell is not noticeably keen with respect to hunting down other creatures, it is sufficiently acute to distinguish between individual basilisks, so their mate and their young are readily discerned from strangers. Well, that's good that they know the difference between their mate Yeah, so they're not accidentally turning everyone they know and love into stone. Okay, good. (laughs) Basilisks mate for life, and by instinct breed every four summers, usually in water, which helps support their slow, heavy bodies. It's oddly specific, but okay. Some hippopotamus stuff. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Welcome to Dragon Magazine. This is crazy that we're getting into stuff like this. Like, there wasn't a lot of stuff like this. Dude, I've gone over the mating rituals of so many creatures on this show. This is, these are, these stand out. I, I the one that stood out was the flail snail. That one stood that out. That one me. stands this out. This one it's, is tame. Maybe I've, I'm just like heightened. My senses are heightened to this sort of thing because you're reading along now. I'm reading what's along happening. Now, yeah. <laughs> but yikes! Um, <laughs> one or two days after mating, the female lays a cluster of greenish white eggs from one to eight, each about the size of a human fist. Basilisk eggs have soft, warm, stretchy surfaces, and they withstand crowding or even gentle handling and tumbling without harm. They cannot break the way avian eggs will shatter in similar like circumstances. Fish eggs. Yeah. Um, I think it's more like crocodilian eggs. Oh, yeah. Those are kind of more. Yeah. They're more leathery. Or, yeah. 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 Um, a basilisk parent often picks up an egg in its mouth to carry it, drops it in a new location or to defend itself or rolls eggs about with its snout all without doing the eggs any damage. Mm-hmm. After laying its eggs, a basilisk mother covers them in cool sand or half buries them in cool wet mud. The eggs are almost always fertile, and if they survive the nesting period of four to six weeks, they will hatch into miniature basilisks four to nine inches long who have full gaze powers at birth. Have you ever seen uh, the the baby basilisk run? They run into the ocean to be... (laughs) There they go. They have to turn all the birds are picking them off. No, they're not. They're getting turned to fucking stone. (laughs) That's amazing. I mean, some of them are getting picked off, but a lot of them are getting fucking turned to stone. Uh, Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Um, During the nesting period, the parents do not eat all the while, growing more and more irritable and fanatical in the defense of their nest and its surroundings. Man, are we about to get hit up with articles? Oh, thank you, everybody who educated us so much about snails, speaking about the flail snails. I mean, uh, I figured it was lifted straight from the way snails made it. I just didn't say so. because That's I just, cool. I, I, don't look at, I don't look into that stuff. So thanks, guys, for for educating everybody in the Discord. That was fucking <laughs> wild, but yeah, awesome. Um, and yeah, very good stuff. So I'm wondering if we're going to get the same sort of treatment about like turtles and crocodiles, right? <laughs> oh, probably. Okay. Almost definitely. All right. Hatchlings grow quite rapidly, reaching man size and length from nose to base of tail in four to six months after they are born. During this growth period, the parents hunt intensively, yeah, intensively with them and for them. Basilisk young often accompany their parents for up to three seasons until they are ready to mate, whereupon they leave their parents and each other to seek out their own mates. I just like how, like, I'm so used to, like, vicious monsters that don't treat their their kids very well. Yeah. Like, no, no, this, this is, is like a normal animal. animal. Like, yeah. this, is, this is a normal one that happens to turn things to stone. Not even by choice. <laughs> I think it just happens. Yeah, well, that's how they have to eat, right? Yeah. Like, that's how they eat stuff is yeah. they turn it to stone and, and then, then go take their time yeah. with their snacky snack. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Though 5e hasn't explored other types of basilisks, previous editions have more than a few variants. 
Um, there is the greater basilisk, which is simply a larger cousin of the more common reptilian horror, the ordinary basilisk. This is the same, just bigger with higher damage saves, AC, etc. That's basically the conversation they had in the on the storyboarding room for Dungeons and Dragons. Like, it's a basilisk, but bigger. Yeah, exactly. It's bigger. Yeah? <laughs> we like that here. Indeed. Okay. There is the creature known as the Dracolisk. Sages say that the Dracolisk is the offspring of a black dragon and a basilisk of the largest size. The result is a deep brown dragon-like monster that moves with relative quickness on six legs. It can fly, but only for short periods, a turn or two at most. This horror can attack with its taloned forelegs and deliver vicious bites. In addition, it can spit a stream of acid. There's a there's the storyboard I was referencing earlier. The next like th- red thread that goes to the next image is like, okay, it's also big, but also a dragon. We <laughs> yes. like that here, right? Yes, indeed. Okay. Finally, there is the Abyssal Basilisk. Adventurers are likely to encounter these fiends of the underworld, either in their native environment, barren wastes of the abyss, or summoned to the employ of some dark sorcerer. Servants of the demon lords uh, make good use of the Abyssal Basilisk as guards and escorts. This bigger, badder version of the Basilisk has a death metal makeover, resistances to elemental damages, and boosted damage versus good creatures. As like a the opposite of a smite. Just rub some abyssal madness in it. Yeah. And yeah. It's basically it's a demon basilisk. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I know. The next yeah. thread from the oh, dragon yeah. one to this one is yeah. It's it's bigger, but it's, it, it's, it's a uh, it okay, so yeah. in between the basilisk pictures there's the photo of the thing it's influenced by. So yeah, there's sure. a, there's the black dragon in between and yeah. this one is uh Demogorgon in between. There Shout we go. out to Demogorgon. Exactly. Even though he doesn't have anything to fucking do with basilisks. No, he but doesn't. He does have things to do well, with He might demons. own a few. Um maybe, yeah. That's all I got about basilisks. You got any questions before we, you uh read the stat block to me? Uh, no, I got stuff about basilisks. Right, this episode ain't over yet, baby. Um <laughs> I got a stat block and like we said earlier, it is a medium monstrosity unaligned, which how? Um, yeah, this thing seems so big. It should definitely be large, but what do I like know? Like 300 pound things are medium, sure, but like the, the length of it is what? Yeah, like, yeah. And how, the bulkiness of it too. You've seen the picture of it? Yeah, it's yeah. literally like a fucking, like, uh, like a big tree stump. Yeah. With arms and legs. Like, and it's face. at least as big as a horse, if not bigger, right? And horses count as large. It has to be way, way bigger than yeah. a horse. This yeah. thing has to be. And horses count as large. So, why the fuck is that thing medium? That's a good question. Let us know why uh, this thing is medium. There might be a reason. There might not be a reason. Let it's us probably know if there's not. not. There's not a reason. There's no reason. It's just a fucking error. Uh, armor class is 15 natty. Uh, nice. 52 HP. And it's movement speed of 20 feet. The big lazy lizards. Um,. Dangerous looking. They look like an evil monster. They do. They really, they look super vicious. Yeah. It's like a purple worm isn't evil. It's neutral, right? Yeah, it's neutral. Unaligned. Yeah, it just kind of exists and is Mm -hmm. ferocious. Uh, Strength 16, dex 8, con 15, intelligence 2. That's a negative. Very dumb. Very dumb. So dumb. Surprising you can tame them at all. Uh, 8 wisdom and 7 charisma. Yeah, they're like responsive to their base instinct stuff like yeah. heat and food. Right. And so I guess you can train them based off of that. They know who their lover and child are. <laughs> they can distinguish between the two, which sure. is so good. Uh, very dark handy. vision is, is so handy. I'm glad I can do that too. So <laughs> senses are dark vision, 60 feet, passive perception of nine, nothing special there. Uh, no languages. The challenge rating is the magic three and the proficiency bonus is plus two. Let's get into the petrifying gaze. If a creature starts its turn within 30 feet of the basilisks, uh, basilisk and two of them can see each other, the basilisk can force the creature to make a DC 12 con saving throw if the basilisk isn't incapacitated. On a failed save, the creature magically begins to turn to stone and is restrained. 
by the stone. Mm-hmm. If uh, It must repeat the saving throw at the end of its next turn. On a success, the effect ends. On a failure, the creature is petrified until freed by the greater restoration spell or other magic. <clears throat> a creature that is surprised can avert its eyes to avoid the saving throw at the start of its turn. If it does so, it can't see the basilisk until the start of its next turn when it can avert its eyes again. Mm-hmm. If it looks at the basilisk in the meantime, it must immediately make the save. If the basilisk sees uh, its reflection within 30 feet of it in bright light, it mistakes itself for a rival and targets itself with the gaze. It can also do a bite, which is the melee weapon attack with plus five to hit, a reach of five feet for one target. The hit is going to do 10 or 2d6 plus three piercing damage plus seven or 2d6 poison damage. Mm -hmm. It's a beefy Mm -hmm. bite. It's good. So this thing's a pain in the ass to fight just because you can't look at it, so you're constantly at disadvantage, mm-hmm. and it's constantly not at advantage, but like it doesn't have the same. Um, it's putting you at disadvantage. Yeah, which constantly. Is, if you're, and then if you yeah. decide to forego it, you might turn to fucking stone. Right, and if your main ability is genjutsu, you can't do shit about that because you're going to turn to nope. stone. You can't maintain the genjutsu if yeah. you're turning to stone. Also, this thing, what is it's phrasing about it mistaking itself for another rival, and it uses its gaze like. Wouldn't that be counterintuitive? They just turn each other to stone if it was a rival and it tried to stone gaze its rival? Yeah, like... That doesn't uh, make any sense. Are like, they just betting on, like... Like, is this my like gaze is ra- faster than your gaze? Or, like, you, my saving throw is going to be dope and yours is not sort of thing? I guess so. Like, it's got to be that. Saving throw also it's got to be like that. When rams, you know, yeah. butt heads, they're just yeah. kind of waiting for Except the other one. This to- one is, like, it's, you know, this one will kill. You never see the end of those fights on YouTube. That's true. You never really do. Do they die or pass out? Like, what's the no, end? They, Does one back down? They usually back down, yeah. I was like, fuck, I'm concussed. I got to go. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, God, my neck. Yeah, fuck <laughs> my fucking neck. All right, you win, bro. So anything else about Basilisk you got on there? I, it's it's not about, it's, it is about inherently about Basilisk, obviously, but like players with Basilisk, there's lines in here that suggest like, so a creature that isn't surprised can avert its eyes to there's like rules in here to detail what to do with your what your players are doing with your eyes so like yeah. when you throw this thing in like so basically all of a sudden your dungeon master is asking you where you're looking yeah you know, where like, you're looking what are so you doing? What, what are your eyes doing right now buddy like okay why <laughs> like so, so how do we smooth that out because that's bad I, um, I don't think that's very good for I mean, dungeon master okay okay you're you're talking about the part before the fight starts right yeah like you need to give your players an opportunity to so you can obviously set this up in a lot of different ways but like do you want to force your players to make this save and turn people to stone right off the bat or do you want to give them the opportunity to avert their gaze i mean right? it depends so like it's like okay they hear something uh rustle behind you know in the tree line over over the way do they go look okay if they go look do they how does it, how do they roll in their perception check if they roll high? Okay, they're going to locate this creature. I mean, I'm going to describe the creature and yada yada yada. And if they if their reaction isn't like oh shit a basilisk look away, then yeah they're going to have to make the save. Yeah, there's a lot of underlying things. Do they know what a basilisk is and what it does? Yeah, exactly. you know, like are they are in that moment perception sight. Like, I'm willing to assume they're looking at it unless they tell me they're not. And why wouldn't they be? Right. And then are you going to stack the nature check right there? Like, are you going to say, okay, roll a nature check to see if you know what this thing is? It depends. If they're a ranger or a druid, almost definitely. Yeah, the ability to discern that in the first place, right, is a prerequisite. If it's a rogue or a sorcerer or someone who, like, would just not know, I'm not going to give them the opportunity to roll nature. Yeah. uh, Okay. Unless they ask for it. 
If uh, they ask for it, then it means that their character's thinking about it and they can go ahead and do it. So honesty is is the best. Obviously, honesty this is, is the way we the should answer. be playing the game yeah. is like not trying to just like, oh, well, I look away because I know what this is. Yeah. Stay in character and let it play out and trust each other mm-hmm. to tell exactly. a good story. Right. But also, like, there are rules written here for these players that are going to be like, oh, no, I was blinking and then just never opened well, my eyes. Well, also, there just needs to be, like, in combat, yeah, you have to detail, well, how does this work? Like, if I'm trying to fight this thing and I can't look at it, like, how does this mechanically work? And th- those are the rules that you have to follow to, to make it work. Yeah. Um, so what, you're going to be listening? Yeah. So you have disadvantage because you can't see it, but you can listen and you can, like, look and see where its feet are and stuff like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can cast the darkness spell. Sure. And then that will nullify. You can't see it. Yeah. You can't make and eye contact with stuff you. you can't see. Yeah. So, yeah. And um, everyone's at disadvantage. Everyone is at disadvantage, which means everyone. we can just roll flat. Sure. If right. we want. It's up to you how you want to do that. Yeah. Um, we've had that debate before. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that that was a good thing to address here. Um, yeah, sure. Was like how to manage players when you're using this monster mm-hmm. and this titular moment happens where, mm-hmm. you know, it's our first basilisk ever. Because there's player oh my player is 40 years old my character is 40 years old and has been adventuring his whole life like he knows everything mm-hmm. he knows what the he, is. Yeah, except for he probably doesn't because he's only level two exactly yeah, right yeah, like so. there's but there's characters like that yeah, where, like i've been adventuring all my life yeah. with level five campaign sure. or whatever you know yeah. like the just just be honest about about it the the combat is set up for you to have this be a risk so right exactly just trust trust each other and like <clears throat> Obviously, once your character knows the stakes, it's not you're not going to look around. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I that's it, all I have. All right. Then let's get ready for a long rest. Let's do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the long rest where we are building our beholder. This isn't a beholder episode, so we're going to add an eye beam to the beholder that we will be building over the next several episodes. And physical characteristic, too. And physical characteristics. So let's start with the beam. This creature, the basilisk, only has one... Uh, one one power one power yeah the petrifying beam oh it can bite but like it it yeah and it has dark vision which isn't an ability really no um now the regular beholder does already have a petrifying beam but that's okay this one can have ours one too. will have one too yeah. but it'll be yeah. it'll be this this, this, but this one is a weird radiation that if it bounces back can turn itself into stone yes it don't let this eye stock turn in to look at its other oh, wait, eye wait, stocks wait. new power it's not eye beam related though okay. It, what if our beholder here has the basculist gullet that if it eats something stone, it can turn it into not stone? Okay, so we have an eye beam that turns it to stone, but the physical characteristic can be the, the gullet. gullet. There we go. Let's there we see go. what the gullet on this bad beast looks like. Yeah, so it's got like the lizard throat thing going on. Yeah, I actually I got ready for the next episode, so I took it off. But let me pull up basilisk again. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for everybody. You can wait just a second. And what is that gullet? Like a gullet of a turkey is specific looking, right? So I'm thinking, yeah. Oh, yeah. This one's got little spikes underneath its yeah, chin. So, so this beholder like, underneath the, the lip line mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. these little spikies. Yeah. And when and it can eat the things that petrify. This thing can eat porous stone. Exactly. Our beholder can eat porous stone and yes. turn you to stone, which it to can eat. then eat. Exactly. Okay. So that's its physical so characteristic. It's got, it's got a, a, a roar beam with a golden mane. A roar beam, golden a mane. A petrifying eye with a gullet that can eat stone. With a gullet. We thought about putting the frill with the mane, and we also thought about the but tail. But the gullet, I think the gullet works. And a beholder with a tail would be funny, but I like the gullet the best. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be other tailed creatures as we keep going. The gullet so. wins. There's an opportunity in the future for a tail. This, yeah. this is a one-in-one thing. We don't, yeah. we don't you know, <laughs> 
These are the rules. All right, so that's two down, eight to go before this beholder is whole. Um, <laughs> a beholder. B E W. Exactly. H O. Okay. Um, is there anything you want to tell the audience about before we call it here? Um, just check out uh, Patreon if you want to support us. It's like one of the best things you can do. That isn't just telling somebody about the show. Tell tell people about the Dungeon Cast. I think we're going to start getting back on the contest train. Probably soon. that's a conversation we should have today. Yeah. yeah um. So soon, February. Oh, we should do some some Valentine's Day shit. Yeah, we'll figure some. Watch out for some Valentine's Day shit. Some, <laughs> some dungeon love. Um. Show the Dungeon Cast love. It'll show you love back with like a book or whatever we're gonna give away. Uh. More on that in probably two episodes. Uh. Other than that, you know, patreon.com slash dungeoncast, Instagram, Twitter, our email is, do you guys want to sponsor episodes? You can. Are there any advertisers out there listening to the back end of the show? You can do so at uh, thedungeoncast at gmail.com, or you can just reach out to us there for whatever. Um, and that, that's that's it. That's all the mainstays. Check the notes. There's lots of stuff in the notes. You will love it all. I'm mm-hmm. positive of it. Get your episodes early on Patreon, Dungeon Chats. That's There's a store. There's a store down there. Guys, Super Quest Saga. Jesus, let's end the episode. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye. The Dungeon Cast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.